Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today our conversation will be with Po Heng Tsai, who is a neurologist and physician dementia specialist. And we're gonna be discussing the passage of time in people with dementia. You know, it's interesting. I do a lot of trainings with first responders in my work and I often encourage them to use a question um, to kind of orient themselves to where that person is. And I tell them to ask them, how old are you? And it's not uncommon for an 80-year-old woman with dementia to come back with, well, I'm 35. This can be kind of um, disconcerting for families to deal with kind of this movement backwards in time. So I'm really excited about our discussion today with Dr. Sai, who's going to help us understand where this is coming from and how to cope with it. And I love that you bring up recognition. Uh, You had shared a beautiful story with me, Heather, about a married couple. Uh, The man had been diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and through the progression of the disease, he forgot that he was married to his wife of many years. And he did remember and he did know that she was his favorite person and he proposed to his wife, he asked his wife to marry him again. And she said, yes, Um, it was so beautiful. And their family and friends and acquaintances came together and made it a reality. And it it was so touching, but he had lost track of time and the recognition that she was the love of his life and his wife. And he had lost track of memories of his wedding, but it, it was so beautiful how they were connected by so much love. And so I'm just so glad that we have Dr. Tsai to help us untangle the passage of time and how it might be interwoven with um, other kind of difficulties around memories and relationships. And I am so excited about today's conversation. Well, welcome, Dr. Sai. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Heather and Janice, for the invitation. I'm very excited to join you today and talk a little bit about um, passages of time and how memory works in our brain and what happens when it's not working properly, such as when we, our loved ones has uh, Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Well, before we get started with that subject, I would love to learn a little bit more about you. Could you tell us about your journey and what led you to connect with the dementia community? Sure. Um, So as you mentioned, um, 
Um, Heather, I am a neurologist. Uh, specifically, I'm a behavior neurologist. So after finishing my neurology residency, I did additional fellowship training in the field of behavior neurology. So in the field of behavior neurology, we study the relationship between brain and behavior. Um, so you know what happens you know in a person when you know uh, they had stroke, they're no longer able to speak. So what happens in the brain? Um, so that was tremendously fascinating to me. Um, one of the important reasons is because I feel that's what makes us human, you know, our ability to communicate, our ability to remember our personality, uh, the different type of behavior that we're engaging. So that's, uh, that's why I you know, decided to pursue this field. Um, and as a physician, I see patients. Um, so um, unfortunately, uh, to be able to see patients, it's a lot of times it's not when when people's thinking, memory, language are working well, but it's when they don't work well. And, uh, and a lot of times dysfunction manifests as people with dementia. So that's how I come to care for patients with dementia. That's so interesting. And thank you for sharing that with us. I think we have the right person to help us untangle the subject today. So let's start with your neurology background. Can you share with us really what's happening in the brain um, of people with dementia when it comes to memory? So first, maybe let's talk about, you know, actually memory is not one, you know, single entity. There are actually different systems of memory that we have in our brain. Um, so roughly, they can be divided into short-term and long-term memory. So short-term memory, another word for it is uh, working memory. So this is the type of memory that we'll only be able to hold on for a few seconds. Um, so for example, if you go to a party and uh, you met this person that you, know, you thought was the best person ever, you want to you know, keep in touch with them. So you ask for their phone number. And uh, it takes you a few seconds to you know, remember those 10 digits. And that, and if you don't rehearse or you write it down, then you might forget. So that's why it's called short-term memory. So they can only last for a few seconds in our brain. But if you keep rehearsing that number, so you keep calling that person you know, multiple times a day, hopefully it, it's mutual and not just from your own part because that could be considered stalking and we don't like that. Um, so, uh, um, but you know, with practice and rehearsing, then you, you know, that memory can, you know, can become long-term memory. So it becomes um, easy, uh, part of your, um, what we call, uh, uh, explicit uh, memory. So, uh, so for long-term memory, it can be further divided into implicit and ex explicit. So implicit uh, means that we are not consciously actually uh, learning or laying down memory. So a lot of these memories involve different skills. So for example, um, you know, how we tie our shoes, you know, when we are tying our shoes, we don't necessarily say, okay, first I need to make a knot this way, then I'm gonna pull this shoestring that way. We sort of do it automatically because that's part of our implicit memory. Um, and uh, you might have um, seen some uh, videos on YouTube where they demonstrate a person with uh, dementia who have 
quite notable memory issues, but they are still able to play beautiful music with the piano. That's because that ability to play piano is part of the implicit memory. Um, so coming back to the explicit memory, so that's the, remember these are under the long-term memory. Um, so they can be divided into episodic and semantic memory. So semantic memory is uh, learned facts and knowledge. So for example, that uh, you know the, the capital of France is Paris, even though you have never been to Paris. Um, on the other hand, episodic memory is the different episodes and events that happen to us that we make a impression or make a memory of. So this will be the time that's, ah, I remember in 2016, I went on a family trip with my family and I had a great time. This is so great um, to have you explain it in such a clear way. And I'm wondering about the actual makeup of the brain. What area of the brain is impacted first uh, or how does that progression happen? So when we talk about the passage of time, you know, why some of our loved ones with um, dementia, specifically Alzheimer's disease, would tend to live in the past. Um, that's because the formation of the episodic memory. So, you know, the, the, the memory of events that happens um, is um, processed in the part of the brain called hippocampus. Um, so this is part of the brain that's actually affected first uh, in Alzheimer's disease. So that's why our loved ones with Alzheimer's disease at the initial stage will have trouble remembering mostly recent memory because those are the memories that need to be laid down uh, freshly. So, uh, so because the, the apparatus, the, the tools that the brain uses to, to, to accomplish that is affected by the Alzheimer's disease process, that's why our loved one with Alzheimer's disease or dementia tend to have trouble with more recent memory and then tend to quote unquote live in the past because those are the part of the brain um, that has not yet been affected by the Alzheimer's disease process. But we do know that Alzheimer's disease is a progressive process. So as time goes on, the Alzheimer's disease could spread to other parts of the brain. And that's why that you know, as the disease progresses, even the, the more long-term memory could, get, could uh, start to get affected in people with Alzheimer's disease. And that really kind of explains and, and enlightens how across the different stages from early to moderate to advanced stage, you continue to see these changes in memory and this kind of movement backwards in time. But memory is not an island in your brain. Am I right? There are other areas of thinking that will affect your memory, um, such as attention. Sure. Um, so, uh, so definitely, um, the we rely on different parts of the brain, not just the hippocampus, to um, to form memory. So, for for example, uh, we need to pay attention actually to be able to uh, lay down a memory, uh, right? Because sometimes uh, when a person is distracted and uh, if they're not paying attention, they might not uh, remember where they put something. It's not necessarily because they have not formed that memory, it's because they were not paying attention to, to things in the first place. 
another part of the brain that could also uh, be part of the memory process, formation process will be our emotion uh, that uh, when, which gives the context to a memory. So it could be a happy memory, a sad memory. And a lot of times these memories are stronger. Um, so an analogy that I use sometimes is that you can think of it as that we're putting an extra tag on this type of memory. So looking at memory maybe as different files in a filing cabinet. And then, you know, when a memory has a strong emotion, either positive or negative, uh, then have a tag onto that file. So maybe, for example, you put a red sticky on that file. So it'll be much easier uh, for you to open when you open up that file cabinet to go ahead go and go and grab that file with a red sticky because then it's much more noticeable because it made a deeper impression so same thing when a memory has a strong emotional component they tend to last a bit longer in our brain it's so interesting how all of these aspects are interwoven and i liked how you talked about attention and memory, when we think about a person who might be thinking that it's 1947, do you have any strategies for our caregivers who are dealing with this on a daily basis? Um, so sometimes it could be quite, you know, distressing to the caregiver when, when the, you know, when their loved ones with, um, Alzheimer's disease or dementia thinking it's in 1947 because it could be because they you know may mistake their spouse for their parents or sometimes they might not even necessarily recognize themselves in the mirror um, and this could be quite um, quite distressing to the um, to the caregivers. But I think, you know, uh, I think we should focus on our loved ones with Alzheimer's disease or dementia. How is it affecting them? Um, if they are perfectly happy thinking that in 1947, they are able to carry on the, uh, the everyday life without too much um, stress or distress, then it's okay. You know, they, they are not harming themselves, they're not, you know, harming other people, and it's okay. Um, the, you know, uh, so the loved ones, uh, they, they need to recognize this as a, a symptom of the disease itself and, uh, and acknowledge it, but then don't, um, don't emphasize it or try to correct your loved ones because that may actually induce distress. So Dr. Sai, I think that's a really important point when we consider how these changes really kind of manifest in day-to-day -day life. A lot of times as the disease progresses, the person may not recognize their own reflection in a mirror. And they could react positively to this where now maybe they're making friends with this reflection looking, the person who's looking back at them through the window, if you will. And while it may be distressing for us to see that happening, it's really not a problem for the person. On the other hand, that reflection in the mirror could be unfamiliar and maybe they're scared of that older person that now is looking through the window at them, if you will. Yes, I think that's a wonderful point, Heather. Um, I always tell people there are you know, no two Alzheimer's disease patients are alike. Um, so you know your person the best. So, uh, so see, how does your person react when they see a person they don't recognize in the mirror? Is this something they are very 
frightened of, uh, then you might do something like covering up all the mirrors so that they don't get to see that reflection in the mirror. But if they're like, oh, who's this nice lady in the mirror? How are you? And, you know, they actually feel, you know, have a friendly feeling towards that person in the mirror, then that's okay. You can just leave the, the you know, the mirror be. And, uh, and then, you know, after they finish with the conversation, then you can carry on doing what you guys want to do together. I want you to go back and talk a little bit about attention. You talked about attention and about a person who might forget appointments during the day, or they might forget that it's it's time to go to sleep now, um, and they're feeling like it's time to be wide awake. Can you tell us a little bit about routines? Um, sure. So uh, so in order to uh, to remember that. Uh, appointment and you know being able to go to that appointment not only do we need to know the the, the episodic event meaning that there is an appointment taking place at this day and this time but we also need to pay attention because we need to keep track of what is today's day or what is today's you know day of the week because that is is the time that we will have to go to that appointment. So it's not purely a memory issue, but also paying attention to where we are currently. So keeping track of where we are in relation to that uh, event, such as that appointment. You know, Dr. Sai, I think for our listeners, if they have a loved one with this disease, one of the most feared moments in the progression of the disease that I think families actually often anticipate coming and um, is that point in time where they may not recognize them anymore. Can you talk about what's going on um, in the individual and in their brain that's causing them not to recognize their spouse or their child? As we already mentioned previously, initially in the disease process, it is the recent memory that is affected because Alzheimer's disease starts in the area of the brain called hippocampus. And that's part of the brain that's important for the formation of new memory. So when the patient has no access to recent memory, they're not able to lay down memory. All they have access to is a memory that has already been formed and it's already at a different location uh, you know, uh, uh, apart from the hippocampus. So, um, so that's why their impression, their, their quote-unquote memory of their loved one, what they look like might, might not be from 2021. It might be from, you know, five years ago. It might be from, from 10 years ago, even a couple of decades ago. So that's why they, they could have difficulty recognizing their spouse or loved ones in the current time, because that's part of the brain that's affected. They don't have that piece of memory. They were not able to keep updating that memory as the person changes because we all get older, right? So we all change that, you know, our face, the way we look changes. And that in order to um, be able to keep up with that, you know, our hippocampus need to be working to keep updating that memory. When that stopped working, then we have only have access to whatever is already formed. So that my, you know, the image they have of the loved ones, you know, could be, like I said, you know, from a, a, a past time. It takes me back to this the beautiful story that I shared at the beginning of our interview. Um, it also reminds me of how things can get complicated. 
And I was thinking about my own grandma and she um, has a dementia and she really uh, recently was really sick and she experienced some delirium. And I'm just wondering how does the brain respond when someone is going through this impact on their brain with dementia, um, impact on the hippocampus? I mean, it seems to me that they take longer to recover. Um, right. So, uh, so delirium, uh, maybe we should first define it for our listeners who might not have heard the term before. Yes. So delirium describes as an acute change in a person's neurological status, especially cognitively, uh, that, you know, could manifest as uh, increased confusion, uh, sometimes even hallucination and agitation. And that's most of the times due to an underlying medical problem. And we know our loved ones with dementia, are especially at a higher risk for getting delirium. Um, and that's because our loved one with dementia already has a little bit, uh, has already have a compromised state of the brain. So that means that the brain is a little bit is a stress to uh, for the brain when it has to deal with whatever underlying medical issue. It could be a bladder infection. Um, it could be um, because of head injury. Whatever that's an extra stress on the already compromised brain. It's just sort of you can think of tip the brain over, and that's why the brain cannot compensate. You know for the you know, the memory issue that person's already have, and that that's why the person will have. Uh, unchecked, you know, increased confusion and other changes in the brain. Thank you for explaining that. And I think it's just so good for our listeners to be mindful of the fact that it could be that something else is going on in addition to their person's uh, dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And if they see changes, they need to talk to their doctor. That's absolutely right. So this is actually one of the most common calls we get from the loved ones is when there's an acute change in the person's cognition or behavior. So that's why we always suspect that could be delirium. Of course, it could also be a progression of disease. But first, we need to rule out the presence of delirium because a lot of times it's treatable. And the person, once they are treated for whatever the underlying process is, it could be, like I said, a blood infection, a lot of times people will get back to that previous baseline. So they were able to recover. However, we know that the process can take a little bit longer. So, uh, and actually can lag behind um, the medical process um, improvement. So for example, um, the person has blood infection and then they start to have more confusion, sometimes agitation and having a lot more episodes not recognizing their loved ones. And, uh, and you call the doctor, they say, hmm, you know, it, has anything happened, anything changed? And say, oh, he's going, she's going to the bathroom much more frequently and maybe there's a foul smelling odor, odor coming from the urine so oh, okay let's check for the bladder infection and that uh, that's now to be positive and then the person is pre prescribed a week of antibiotic so even though after a week you know maybe there's normal bacteria in the urine the person has some improvement but they might not be a hundred percent 
uh, back to their baseline because it's, you know, we talk about our loved one with Alzheimer's disease and dementia already have a slightly compromised state of brain. So it's gonna take the brain a little bit longer to try to, you know, to recuperate to the prior state. I think this is a really interesting conversation around um, delirium and, and strategies to help deal with it. I wonder if you have any um, strategies that you can share related to this sort of passage of time in people with dementia. How can we help to solve the problems that this presents? Um, so I think it depends on the uh, on the your loved one, your person with uh, dementia or memory issues, and what what's the situation that you know they are interacting with that that make them you know think that in you know, 1947. If it's something that's not causing any distress to the, to the person, um, then, you know, then that's, that, you know, that's not an, an issue. Um, but if it's something, for example, a person with delirium and they're in the hospital uh, for a um, broken hip, and um, then you might want to think about using something that can help them um, feel more comfortable and more familiar to them. So whatever they they look for as a source of comfort, either pictures of the family, or maybe you know some um, maybe a, a stuffed animal or anything that uh, that that give them comfort and familiarity. I think that would be something that you could try. But like I said, you know, no two Alzheimer's disease patients are alike. So you know your person the best. You know what kind of what are, what kind of things and what will provide them with comfort. Is that what you should try? Dr. Sai, thank you so much for your insights into this often complicated subject of the passage of time in dementia. Um, could you give us your final thoughts when it comes to this subject? Sure. Um, so I think, uh, you know, passage of time or living in the past is a symptom of Alzheimer's disease. And uh, I think it's important that um, our caregivers uh, uh, or for anybody that caring or having a loved one with um, memory loss or dementia uh, to recognize that, that this is uh, that this could happen that your person might one day not recognize you or even not recognizing themselves in the mirror um, but again um, how does that make your person feel um, I have a colleague who used an analogy which I really like. Uh, that is when our loved one has dementia or develops Alzheimer's disease, they become the sun in our solar system. So we are the planets. So we have to revolve around our loved one and respond to how they are feeling. So if they are fine living in 1947, they want to make friends with that person in the mirror, great, let them do it. But if it's giving them distress, I think somebody tried to harm them, then let's make a change. Cover up the mirror or not, you know, not bring anything that could trigger that, that negative memory. Um, you know your person the best. What would they feel the best with? Today, our conversation has been with Ko Heng Sai, who is a behavioral neurologist and physician dementia specialist. Thank you so much again for your time in helping us untangle um, the passage of time in individuals with dementia. And thank you so much for your invitation.
Thank you so much, Dr. Sai, and thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And thank you to you, our wonderful listeners, for joining us. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to Dementia Untangled and share this podcast. We, um, we hope that you'll check out our website, banneralz.org, for additional resources, education, and research opportunities. And we do appreciate your feedback. And we invite you to join the conversation by emailing us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation. Please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn more about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com.